Welcome everyone to Be Significant, and we're excited you're still listening or coming to us for the first time. Uh, Beth Cook and I continue to love our conversations, and boy, we had a great one today, and we're going to get into to Miss Emily here in a little bit, but Beth, uh, I think I finally washed away the tear lines from my face from the other night after watching the Ted Lasso final. Uh, my heart still hurts that there's not another one coming out next Wednesday. Uh, how how are you feeling about the end of Ted Lasso? Same, same. I'm still in, I think, a state of denial. And I think that all the fans should write the writers and say, I feel you can absolutely keep continuing, <laughs> even if you need to take some space, like a relationship. Maybe we should be on a pause, like the old Friends episode. We were on a break. We're on a let's break. take a break, but let's come back. We can come back. But just for anybody, we aren't gonna. We're gonna be very thoughtful around spoiler alerts, so we won't do any spoiler alerts. But man, that show is phenomenal in every way, shape, or form. I mean, you and I talked. We could do a. I could run a leadership development program off of that show. I could write a, um, I could do a master's class for a semester on that, on Ted Lasso. Easily. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, uh, I have very few, I'm not a big television watcher. We don't even have cable anymore. So I don't watch a lot of television anymore, but it's one of those shows. I've already watched every episode through season one and season two. I've already watched every episode like three or four times. I've done it too. I just, because I'm in denial. So I just go back and rewatch yeah. it. And I'm like, it's fine. Cause then I still have some left to watch, you know? Yeah. yeah. And if you know, Beth and I we're we're a couple of big saps, but I mean, okay. there's, there's three or four shows that I come back to and I'll watch over and over again. I'll watch the entire series of West Wing and newsroom and studio 60, you know, there's things like that, that it just gives me hope. Yes. Ted Lasso's one of those shows that just makes me feel so good about the world, so good about the possibilities. And it's really sad to see it go. And I, I have a hard time believing we're not going to get holiday specials and maybe spinoffs or whatever they decide to do. And again, we won't put any spoilers out there, but um, there's just so much I would love to see more of. Well, it's kind of like the... Well, I could say it like, I mean, it's different, but like the Sex and City, okay, they ended after a run and then right. they came out with the movie, you know, and yeah. I think a lot of, it's not a British show necessarily, but it was a British cast because right. they're in London and I think they did a lot of filming there. So traditional British shows often do reprise of, to your point, Christmas specials and a comeback, right. but I, I want movies. I just want more. And I feel right. like, Again, if they need to take a break, take a break, but come back, right? I mean, the, the topics that they covered from mental health to wellness factors to yeah. being a parent, to being a, a colleague, to being a friend, to just being compassionate. And then also just around, you know, not throwing stones. Like we're all human. We all make mistakes. We all you know, win some, lose some, you know, the whole sport analogy, but just, I can't get enough of how they really made those conversations and those role modeling perspectives on some of those topics. Just, they just nailed it. <laughs> it's yeah. Just, human uh, development, human growth, maturity. I mean, it's just, and they made it so much fun and 
the, the change and the transition in life. Um, I know everybody that's listening, we're probably the only podcast you ever listen to. And I say that with a lot of humor and sarcasm. Uh, and I know my nephew who drives for a living and, you know, goes from client to client, Adam, if you're listening, this is for you, buddy. He has about 16 podcasts on rotation and we've, Beth, we were lucky enough. We're now part of that rotation. Oh my gosh. We have one super fan. Now he's my godson and my nephew and I have to pay him to do it, but he does it. Whatever works. Whatever works. Go back to Ted Lasso. uh, I listen to Fly on the Wall with Dana Carvey and David Spade a lot. I love that too. And they just had Jason Sudeikis who plays Ted Lasso and is the writer and creator on. And it's, they did a two hour episode with them. The first hour they talk about Saturday Night Live. The second hour is almost all Ted Lasso. And for anybody that's a Ted Lasso fan, you want to listen to that episode because it is so good to hear how his heart feels about it and how he feels about the storylines. And um, so it was a really good thing to listen to after the last episode. So I I'm going to put that in. I mean, I have it in my queue. I just haven't gotten yeah. to those episodes yet. So yeah. Well, let's go ahead and transition, Matt. I mean, our next guest that we have that we just completed an interview with is Emily Bryden. And for those that don't know, Emily Bryden was a former Canadian alpine skier. She started skiing. She was born in this town, Fernie, in Canada. A very, very small town. It's just right side of Alberta. I think she said it was 25, 25 miles north of Montana. And um, ultimately just started, that's what they did. You played hockey, you skied. And so she she was born there. She grew up skiing. She fell in love with it. She ultimately reached the podium on the World Cup circuit nine times, five in downhill, three in the Super G, and one in combined, and one once. A Super G in 2008 in St. Moritz. Um, she also competed in the 2006 Winter Olympic Olympics. But Emily didn't stop there. Like when she ultimately throughout her career as an Olympian, um, she really thought about making a difference and and looking back. And and soon after, while she was probably completing the last four years of her Olympic career, she started a foundation to give back. So something for you to pay attention to on our interview is what she, how she came to that idea of creating this foundation to give back and and what it meant for her and those circumstances on along her life that got her there. So that's the Emily Bryden Youth Foundation.com. If people want to check that out, it's fantastic. So that supports youth in the Elk Valley region um, to pursue their dreams and programs involving sports, education, and arts. So you'll get to hear a little bit more about that. Emily is currently a senior director of network planning and construction for Flow, which is an electronic vehicle company based out of Canada. And so she's kind of like the Tesla of kind of like the Tesla, right? They they help with that process. Yep. So she's she's big in giving back and being a part of the solution for sustainable energy. And uh, I'm telling you, Matt, is there anything you want to highlight? This interview was just fantastic. I mean, she's an amazing person. She's an amazing friend. But wow. I mean, she, she's exactly what we're talking about when we talk about be significant. And and for, for those who don't understand, when we talk about that, she reached the World Cup podium nine times. That's that's kind of like making the World Series or the Super Bowl nine times. Um, it is almost impossible to get there one time. And she's done it over and over again. Three Olympics, just amazing, amazing history as an athlete. And um, her 
ego is so small and her life is so big and what, what she's done and who she is and what she's trying to do. And boy, if you don't under, if you don't get excited about this episode, I don't know if we can help you. So great stuff. Yeah. So go ahead and enjoy our interview with Emily Bryden. I'm All right, Emily, welcome to Be Significant. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for the invite. It's very exciting. Yeah, especially again, I guess, would we say up there in Canada, even though I'm in Chicago, so you're still a little bit north of me, huh? Northerly, yeah. Northerly, northerly. Well, I'm going to just jump right in. Emily, tell me how a girl from Fernie gets to go to the Canadian Olympics, becomes a skiing champion. You know, tell me how it works, you know, that just get started in that space. Well, how big is Fernie? Right. How big is Fernie, by the way? Well, I was just going to say, I wonder how many of your listeners are Googling Fernie right now. That's a good point. To give us a little background on Fernie. Only, <laughs> about, only about 10 of the 26 have a Google machine. So. <laughs> so this little town, big booming metropolis of Fernie, British Columbia. I'm about 25 minutes north of Montana um, in British Columbia. And 25 minutes west of Alberta. So right in the heart of the Rocky Mountains. I'm looking out over the mountains as we are chatting today. Jealous. So We're looking at the same mountain range, just so you know, you are directly north of me in Colorado. That's right. Totally. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The, go Rockies, go. That's right. <laughs> Not just the baseball um, team either, Matt. <laughs> no, no, I know there's, there's other things like goats, mountain goats. Right. A lot of mountain yeah. goats. I wonder if they come down to you or not. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Anywho's, um, so how do I, how does my life take me to become an Olympic skier? So it's a, it's a very loaded question. Um, and one that takes much longer than the time we have allocated unless anyone wants to dedicate the next, you know, 24 hours of their life to listening to my story. But I think in principle, growing up here, I got to do, I was given the opportunity to learn how to ski and skiing was something that was, was, just the activity of in the winter that we did as a family, my friends, um, you either played hockey or you skied. It was a coal mining community. It was small, it was blue collar, it wasn't a lot going on. And I skied because I love to. Um, and I didn't really ever think about it more than that. I didn't grow up with the television. I never saw ski racing. I never, oh, and you're, for your listeners, I was a Olympic ski racer not figure skater, not any other sport, skiing, skiing, critical. I am six foot tall, so that would make sense. Be more fun. Oh, gravity is your thing. Gravity's my thing, right. So use it to your advantage. So skiing was my thing. And I didn't really think that it would ever be more than that. I grew up in a, an amazing family, um, but money wasn't really, there wasn't a lot of it. I didn't really ever feel that there wasn't a lot of it, but it was, I never got the luxuries of life, i.e. no television, no clothes dryer. I used to pick rocks at the ski hill to earn my ski pass every year. I had secondhand clothing, secondhand skis. Um, so you don't really think of those sort of things as like successful athlete, professional athlete long-term. That wasn't on my trajectory. Uh, but I think because of all of these little things in my life that I experienced at a young age, skiing was for me, I think, personally, um, probably an avenue where I was comfortable or an environment I was comfortable. I was always tall and big and, you know, I'd never felt comfortable in my own skin. And on a ski hill, it didn't matter. I was like out there ripping it, feeling good. 
there's adrenaline with skiing. There's like this freedom. You're in the mountains, all of these beautiful things. And I think that that started building something in my soul and, and competitive by nature. I, I remember I'm an only child and I remember playing board games with my parents who never let me win. And so competition comes by me naturally. And I like um, your parents already. Yeah. <laughs> well, and her parents are very diverse. Emily, you want to give a little background about oh, your yeah. parents? My parents. So my mom, she she's British. She took a boat. She did the crossword puzzle in England one day. And I can't remember the complete story, but basically she had an aha moment and she quit her job, but she was working at Shell Mex MVP as a computer programmer and basically got on a boat and came to Canada. And her and her friends rented a bread van and drove across Canada. And she ended up in Sunshine Village where she met my dad, who was born in Ontario and was uh, a snowcat driver at the ski hill in Sunshine. And then they met and then they fell in love and la-di-da. So a true little mountain love story. We actually joke, I'm kind of telling too much about my future life, but basically I was started as a ski bum and then I like got corporate and ended up at BP and you know started on that path. My mom started at corporate in England <laughs> Actually, one other key point, I went to school in England, started at BP in England. Well, so she was at Shell Mex and BP in England, went to school in England, then came to Canada and then became a ski bum. So we basically, I did her life backwards. Which I love. Yeah, it's Which so great. Been, but the, I mean, the, the, the curve of the story, because you just told me what flow is. Tell me what, tell the audience what flow is. The flow is an EV charging company. Um, so... For American listeners, the equivalent would be Electrify America or ChargePoint, Tesla. Tesla. Um, Tesla's the big one that people will know. And, and basically the mandate is to just electrify the world, electrify North America, put charging infrastructure um, in place so that we can help empower, expedite the transition from ICE vehicles, internal combustion vehicles, engines, um, to electric engines and electric cars. So what yeah, an super amazing cool. transition you made from BP to this. Yeah, you, but it was always that? in my, it was always in my blood. Like, so I retired. I love this. If anyone can actually follow my timeline of my life, like free Starbucks card, because I, so I retired at 30 from sport. I didn't have any, uh, uh, university education. So I had done like two years by, no, one year by correspondence, but I had promised my dad that I would go get an education. And so off I went to University of Calgary, hot off the Olympics in Vancouver, feeling pretty good about myself. Um, and I went and I was like, oh my goodness gracious me, I am not in the same life moment as the kids I'm going to school with and I call them kids because they felt like kids like they were oh, can I have your autograph I'm like no yeah. no no we're studying we're in like study group together let's we'll focus get back on to that yeah um and so it that first year was really difficult um for me and so I ended up uh dropping out but I I actually ended up getting into an MBA program in England London England so at Imperial College there and did my MBA there Without and, her bachelor's, I just want to make sure our listeners. Yeah, like Emily so this is like, actually talk about significant. You know, I I think we need to think more broadly about what experiences are and how yeah. important they are to your life. I think so many people are focused on following the trajectory that society tells them to follow, and that the, that these are your stepping stones. And if my story is is 
nothing but an indication that there's no one path to follow. It's really about following your own path and, and making the most out of it and and leaning into, I really actually don't like that slogan, but leaning into um, pushing boundaries and, and kind of expectations, like challenge people. Okay, I don't have an undergrad, who cares? I have this crazy life that I've lived, so why not? Let me, give me a shot. And so I think we need a society to become more open to that, but that was like a very significant time in my life. Not only had I retired from sports, so I was on the national team for 13 years, I retired from sport where you also retire your identity. So not only was I going through that transition, but I was also like trying to get an education and clearly going to school with a bunch of 18 year olds was not right for me, but getting my MBA was something that was really important and it was right for me. And so it's about finding those allies and those mentors and the people who believe in you and push you um, to kind of make those steps. I think a lot of the biggest steps in our life, we don't do alone. We, we do it, um, whether it's a nudge or whether it's a, a push or whether it's a pull, it, it kind of depends, but there's always something cataclysmic for these, these changes. Um, anyway, so I went, did my MBA and then BP was inter, like they came, they're a sponsor at Imperial. And so they came to present this future leader program. And I was like, Oh, this sounds interesting. Like, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So this leadership program was a way for me to get experience in a corporation and blah, blah, blah. So I, well, I ended up getting the job offer for this um, program. And then I'm like, I don't, no, 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 no. I don't want to work for an energy company, oil and gas company. I am a tree hugger, people. That's right. I grew up in British Columbia. And then, and then it's like one of those things where you're like, whoa, have a look at yourself in the mirror. Uh, I was sponsored by a coal company. Uh, I traveled around the world. Carbon footprint, not great. A sport that makes snow. Like, who am I to call myself a tree hugger? Like, I think we often just like associate ourselves with maybe what we aspire to be instead of right. what we are. So my decision was like, go in and learn. And if you're this opinionated, either stay in and affect change from within or leave, but leave educated opposed to just like having this, oh, oil and gas is bad. Why don't you go in and is it bad? What is the alternative? And so I spent 10 and a half years with BP because it was an amazing company um, who the company supported me. They exposed me to great things. They taught me a lot of amazing things. The last three years of my career there, five years even, I started heading into the sustainability space. And so I I got a lot of experience along the way and it allowed me to branch off to, to focus on, on decarbonization electrification and all this stuff. And so that's how I got to flow. That's great. I think also too, what's really interesting and Emily, I don't know if you want to talk about it, but I was there with you when we were at BP. And one of the things you also fostered is exactly what you talked about is do your own path, carve your own way. And so Emily was key on going for the non-traditional employee, you know, so whether it's a veteran or a retired athlete, um, you know, she, she was pivotal. And I don't know if you want to talk about it a little bit, but getting, you know, one of her um, athletic colleagues um, who was blind, a, a role within the organization. So just talking, if you want to talk a little bit about that and sure. just how you got something like that started, if somebody feels very empowered by what you're saying, how did they do that where they're sitting? Yeah, that's a great, a great question. And thank you for asking, because it's something that is a, a, a little bit of a passion project for me and that you know, we talk about diversity and I think that we need to evolve that into thinking about diverse experiences and diverse lives and how that is actually very complementary to a workforce. And, 
you don't want a bunch of clones. You want a bunch of people that come together with this diversity of experience and thought, as I said. And so one of the things that I had a, a little gripe about is that one, like athletes, when they retire, it's like you're literally nobody the next day. One day you're somebody and then the next day you're nobody. And you have all these sponsors. And so, you know, sponsors sponsor you because you're great, but yeah, at your sport, but also it's generally because they align with your, your views and your personality or your ethos or whatever it is. And so why, when you retire, does that no longer have value? So why would you not want an athlete that you sponsor because they're excellent, because they have the right work ethic, because they have the right brand or whatever it is? Why wouldn't you want them in your company after you spent all this money sponsoring them? Why don't you pay for them to work in your company? And, and there's always a role. And so a big thing for me at BP was BP sponsors the Paralympic movement. And so they had U.S. Paralympic athletes that they were sponsoring and one of them was retiring and I could not fathom why we wouldn't hire that individual like this is an amazing opportunity to bring someone in so not only are you giving them a gift because you're giving them probably their first job but you're also bringing in this experience and this personality that can only help your organization and so my goal was to find a program that basically was an internship and that could evolve into long-term employment and so that's what we did with with Tucker Dupree Unfortunately, the program didn't have staying power because it takes people who believe in diverse backgrounds and a commitment. It's much it's not like you can just go to a headhunter and, and uh, like find these individuals like it's it takes more effort and more investment. But if you have a group of people who are passionate about it, it is 100 percent worth your time. And, and I would believe it's 100 percent worth every penny that you spend on recruiting them into your organization because they're going to bring a different perspective a new value um and so for me it was it was a really good learning experience um it took a lot of uh personal and political capital to get it mm -hmm. over the line um and i think the only reason that i was able to is because i had done it yeah. you know i think if someone was trying to pitch it that hadn't been through that path they would not have been able to see it as clearly right. i would say it's the same with veterans it's, it's the same value. Yes. I agree. What do you, did you do, did you negotiate your own or did you have an agent that was doing these sponsorships for you? How did you get these sponsors? Did the, yeah. did the Olympic Federation of Canada help you with that? How, how does that work? No. And I think that's part of like one of the reasons of like getting your MBA without an undergrad, I was negotiating contracts from like the age of 20. Right. So who do you want to be? What was my brand? What are my values? How do I what am I getting paid for? And so I ended up getting an agent, um, but I only used him for like kind of the financial negotiation part. I managed all of my personal relations, my personal sponsors. That was really important to me. If these people were investing in me, I was going to manage that relationship. I wanted I wrote thank you letters every year to hundreds of sponsors. I would do events with people. I would, I really put myself out there in terms of building that relationship. And so that skiing is a crazy sport. It's like, you're going to blow your knee. It's inevitable. It's just right. when. And so when you blow your knee or you get injured, what do your sponsors do? Do they walk away? Because gosh, mm. you're not generating them any exposure for the next 12 months. Or are they going to support you through the transition? And if you've invested in that relationship and you've created something that's like value adding beyond just like, the flipping up of the skis on TV or like your hat, your headgear sponsor. If you've developed something more, if you've given them something that's personal, they're right. going to stick with you. 
And so like I had the same companies sponsoring me from the start to the finish and something I was really proud of because it was all about that journey. It wasn't about a transaction. It was about share this journey and this experience with me um, and compensate me, please. Let's, let's talk about the 17 year old Emily Bryden's out there in the world right now. 17 is an interesting age that you just picked. Mm -hmm. Well, because that's when you started to hit the world stage, right? At 17? Ish. So I'd made the provincial team. I was like still shocked. So I was living at Fernie, 17. Right. I was graduated at 18. So that would be 17, you know, 17 into 18 were the toughest years of my life. Um, so I'd made, I was on the provincial team. I had had to move to Whistler because my coach, my school in Fernie said they didn't want to teach me anymore. So I was missing too much school. And so I was like doing correspondence. I moved to Whistler for some courses. Right. Um, had a successful year. I made the national team. Um, I graduated, went away to ski camp. My dad, my parents called. My dad was sick, came home. He died three months later. Oh, I'm on the crazy. national team and like my path. And then there's this like pivotal moment in my life in that frame that, that will, for, will forever guide me, right? So right. this, when my dad died, my mom wasn't working at the time. Um, I'm an only child. Um, and I was like, well, gosh, now I, I've got to step up. Like I'm, I'm now 18. I need to take care of the family. I need to, well, skiing is kind of a stupid thing. Like, how is that relevant? How is that adding anything to the family? How, how irresponsible would it be to continue skiing? So that's kind of like how I was thinking about it. I can't leave my mom. And, um, so a couple of things happened. One, this family in Fernie, the, they actually had owned the ski hill. They were the ones that let us pick rocks um, to earn our ski pass every year. They came to me with a check for $10,000. Wow. And they said, and they said, no strings attached, go. Don't let money be the reason you don't get to pursue your dreams. So I was like, okay. And then I'm like, well, what about my mom? Like, I can't just leave her. And so the community same time came together, raised some money for my mom for that year. And they all came together and basically said to me, we've got her. So now that takes care of my mom. There's your book. Have you written a book yet? Let's write your book. <laughs> Matt wants to help write the book. Let's, I'll, I'll, I'll be your ghostwriter. That's <laughs> I, your, your story is fantastic. And, I, and I'm so sorry about your dad. And Thank but. You. It's, it's obvious all these things were ladders for, you know, pegs of the ladder to get you where you were. It was all motivation. I want to go back to your, the, your blind friend. That oh, you yeah. Yeah. Okay. If you could go back and talk to yourself at 17 again, and you're starting to create these sponsorships with these companies, would you advise your 17-year-old self or another future Olympic athlete, would you say, listen, have them buy into your education. So when you're done, they're paying for your college education or yes. they're willing to interview you for a job. Yeah. And that's yeah. a part of your contract. Did you 100%. start doing that at some point? Or 100%. Yes. It happens. It has to happen at many levels. It's a, like a, a systematic gap in thinking, right? It's companies need to think about who they want to hire and what diversity is. Right. Society needs to think of athletes as not dumb jocks. Right. Athletes need to be empowered to think about their education and their career beyond sport. So right. when you're in, in it, like when I was skiing, I would get so much grief. I like started my foundation, which is another kind of channel we can talk about. 
do but I was yeah. studying by I was studying my correspondence. I was supporting Right to Play, which which is another organization. I had my own charity, and I the most feedback I received was like, "You're not focused enough on on winning, Emily." And I was like, "I don't I don't know if you've met me, but like happy me is fast me, and right. so understand your audience." But that's the sort of resistance that you get as an athlete to think outside the box. So when you're an athlete, you're a robot. You have to do a, B, C, D every day on repeat right. so that when you have to perform under pressure or at the highest level, you don't have to think and you don't aren't distracted and you're not, you know, I, and I think I had it easy. I think now athletes now have it way harder. Think of all the social media, think of all the right. judgment, think of all the, I just can't even imagine how difficult it is now. And, and you're not allowed to think about your future self. Right. I feel hundred percent live in the moment, live in the moment, which is fine in the moment, but it's not so, it's so funny. You're talking about this because there's been huge changes in the United States over the last five years. You talk about minor league baseball. Okay. Those kids have now negotiated. They've learned that, okay, I'm going to go play minor league baseball, but a part of my contract is you're going to pay for my college education. If you want to draft me at 18, Part of what you're going to pay me is tuition. So if I blow out my arm, I blow out my knee, you're taking care of my college education. Otherwise, I'm going to go to college. Yeah. And, yeah. And I, I don't know if you know much about me, but I, I've been a college basketball coach for many, many years. And I'm, okay. I'm writing a book for families about going to college and these challenges they face. And high school kids are now going to college and they're making the decision on the NLI, name, likeness, and image. You know, mm -hmm. I'm going to pick that college because they're going to allow me to make money for myself while right. I'm in the future. Yeah. So I love that that's your focus, but where you're coming from isn't about how much money can I make? It's about how can I grow as a human being? If I'm going to devote my life to this, how do I, how do I make sure I have a life after it? Yeah. And, and, and that's something that's new age thinking, right? That's it not. Is. You don't, I, and like ski racers are notoriously bad. Like you, the generation before me, I bet you none of them had a high school education. Right. And, and I think also the other thing that's slightly different with professional athletes. So like the pros, baseball, basketball, hockey, they're making millions of dollars. Right. Like my first contract, I think was like for $10,000. Right. And it didn't get that much bigger. <laughs> no, <laughs> amateur sport is not a moneymaker. So right. the other thing, companies aren't going to give you money to go to school but what they could give you is your first job and mm -hmm. i like that like that's the ask yeah and and i think we are skiing is getting a bit better where some of the disciplines like giant slalom and slalom so those are the more technical disciplines you can come through the ncaa out to go to the olympics you can do that now when i was going it was a decision so that was part of the decision when my dad died it was like cool i have scholarships up the wazoo Right? Or do I go after the Olympics? I'm like, who at 18 is making this decision? Like, well, that's a big one. That's a big life Crazy. decision. And so, you know, I think, you know, if we could level some of that stuff out, I, I don't, I hate that education sport has to be a choice, like either or, why not both? Like, that's right. what we should be promoting is, is both. That's right. I agree. Absolutely. I want to go back, Emily, again, I want to talk about the Emily Bryden Youth Foundation. So we're going to put that on our platform where people can go and see what you're doing but you mentioned a little bit but we didn't get to the tie-in of how did this come about you know and I think it takes you back to when that community when you lost your dad and that community yeah. of Fernie stepped in for you 
you know, mm -hmm. talk to you about how this was like the seed that started this amazing foundation of how you're trying to give back to other folks that are in the same situation as you were in when you were 18, 17, 18. Yeah. I, you know what, I think of like my life, I'm what, 43 years old and it's like the thing I'm most proud of in my life. And I can say it like I've competed in three Olympics on the national team for 13 years have nine world cup medals. And I'm most proud of the foundation, right? Cause that's like, that's mm -hmm. impact. That's like, yeah. Standing on the podium feels great and it takes a ton of work to get there. But in terms of like having an impact, I just, I'm super proud of the foundation and I'm super, super grateful for my mentors and the people who, one, that planted the seed, but then empowered me to make it happen. And so basically middle of my ski career, had a bit of a crisis after my second Olympics. My first Olympics was crappy, by the way. I'd blown out both my knees in the last 20, in the, in the preceding 12 months. So by the time I was in the start gate at the Olympics, my first one, I was like three months post-op ACL, oh, my second knee surgery and 12 months post-op after a full, full blowout of my other knee. And so first Olympics, meh, but I got to participate, but turns out I don't like participating. <laughs> I like winning. <laughs> so first one, tricky. Second one, that was Torino. I was like, thought I could win felt so great but there was like I always knew that there was something off and I had like lost the love of sport like through all this craziness through coming back from injury and all this stuff I had like fallen out of love with skiing and so after the Olympics I basically ran away that's what every grown person does when a big crossword cross tears <laughs> so I went to Australia for six for six weeks and I said you guys I might retire friends family don't talk to me for six weeks. I just need this time to process and think and all that sort of stuff. And so off I went and I had a great time in, in Australia. And then I think it was like four days before I was flying home. I'm like, Oh, I have to do that hard thinking. I, am I going to retire? What am I going to do with my life? And, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I like to write things down or that's how I process, process things when I was an athlete. So I wrote down this list of like, I hate skiing. It's like, I, the Olympics are stupid. This isn't what sport is about. I hate on uh, my team. I hate blah, blah, blah. It's like all this really negative, emotional, burnt out kind of vomit. Vomit. Great vomit. word. You had to vomit. get the you had to get the poison out of your system. Yeah. And it was it was fierce. And I was like duh, 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 writing down, writing down. It's like pages. And then I was like, well, there we go. That's clear. I'm gonna retire. And then I said, well, no, let's do the pot. Like, why should I stay? And um, I ended up writing down four things. No, I, I think it was three. Now I can't even remember. Anyways, I wrote down these three or four things. They'll come to me when I, when I recount it. But it basically, I wrote them and I was like, well, there, there's not many, but actually those are actual things. Those are not emotional things. Those are thing things. And so it turns out I've got to, I got to keep going. Right. So I, I turn, I was like, when you take away all the vomit, I still love it. I still love skiing. Like I'm still excited about it. You found your maturity in it. There, there's yeah. a maturity in what you went through, right? Yeah. And I was 26. And right. so it was like, yeah, it was, I had been through enough crap that I kind of could identify what was real and what was fake and temporary. Right. The vomit's temporary. Yeah, it's 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 like Christmas when you're a kid. Just give me the gifts. Let yeah. let the gifts come in. And as you get older, 
the joy comes from giving giving the gifts yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah. and seeing everybody open their gifts and being a part of the day yeah. and being a part of the experience and i i it's just the maturity you know yeah and, I'm yeah. so happy you went through that. And going through it at 26, most people don't get that till they're much later in life. Yeah, and you go through it many times. Like there's other times in my life. It's like, this is, these are things. It's like, but where do we give ourselves? Well, I'm going to finish my other two items. But the, when do we give ourselves the space? So I gave myself six weeks to like have that mature conversation with myself. Sure. Everything that we do now is like so reactive. It's so now, I, yeah, no, I, I went on a three hour hike. Crystal clear, brain's crystal clear. No, it's like we never give ourselves enough time to process things. Yes. Always on to the next. We're always mm -hmm. moving. We're always like, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. Anyways, so first point, turns out I still love skiing. Turns out I still thought there was more to give. Like I was like, if I walk away now, I didn't, I didn't tap out. I didn't reach my potential. And I know that. And so, well, that's kind of crappy. So why, why would you walk away before you've reached your potential? Right. And then the third one was, well, gosh, you have been given like the gift of a lifetime. Make it worth something. Like shame on you. You're going to walk away with the tail between your legs because you fell out of love of skiing or you sucked or you like failed or you whatever, like shame on me. And so a big part of it was like, We'll use this platform now, have this grown up conversation, use this platform to actually affect change, make mm -hmm. a difference. You have a voice, you have a platform, you have all of these things that you work so hard for, like now's the time to pay it forward. You know that family that gave me $10,000? Like let's pay it forward. Let's make that a snowball. That was like a little speck of snow. Let's make it bigger. Let's use that, use that for good. And it was like, and so those, those are the three things. So it turns out there was three. Um, those three things guided me. I knew that the Olympics were coming up in Canada in four years. So I was like four years. I have four years to reach my potential, travel the world and love the sport that I deeply care for. And I have four years to make a difference to another kid, another family, whoever. And so I started off on the, I came home, called my mentor, Chris, I have an idea. And he was like, okay, I'm in. You write the business plan, you do all this stuff and I'm gonna open up um, my Rolodex to you. Or <laughs> it's not Rolodex. I had to tell a 20-something calendar. A contact number on your contact phone. You. Yeah. Contact. And that was my first business lesson, really, I think. Like I'd had negotiations and stuff, but this was like the first time I really pitched something. Yeah. And uh, the foundation was started, Emily Bride Youth Foundation. And our mandate is to help kids in the Elk Valley. That's like Fernie, Elkford, Sparwood, the area I grew up in, um, through sports, arts, and ed education. So basically anything. And so today we've invested, I think it's around 700,000 back into the community. And we have an endowment of about a million dollars. Here on the and old podcast, we call that significance, what you just, yes. what you just did. <laughs> Absolutely. You, you nailed Amazing. it. You win. You win the gold medal for that. <laughs> we'll give you a podium stand in a little bit you know? and i know you like to chase some champagne on that podium so if anybody wants to yes. go check that and, out and that's champagne, on you need two bottles of champagne one to spray and one to drink there you go <laughs> absolutely good lesson i got you covered on those them 
anyway, so the next four years were like the best of my career. They were like, they were just so amazing because I no longer skied for myself. I skied for something that was much bigger than me. Um, one of the challenges I had in sport was like, I'd have a bad day and I was like, I'm a bad person. And now I had like, I had a bad day and I was like, well, I still did something for the kids or I still mm -hmm. did something for the cause. And so it really flipped my mentality and, and I, my career just took off. That's great. I think um, that's a great lesson. I mean, what I'm taking from it, at least I think there's a million things you can take from it, but is if you do something greater for not just completely selfish reasons, I mean, again, you want to enjoy it and you want to fall back in love with skiing because that's, you started skiing like that. But also if you do something for others and you have a bigger purpose, you always feel like you made a difference. You always feel at the end of the day, even though everything else fell apart, like you, you did something for someone. And I think that's a lesson a lot of people can take is, you know, when you're going through it, you know, try to get a bigger purpose. I mean, I love that. I'm trying to hundred percent that in. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Every day. Like it's like the little things too. Yeah, absolutely. Significance doesn't necessarily mean grand. No. Yeah. I, well, to be fair, I think $700,000 with a million dollar endowment is pretty grand, but folks out there that are listening, let's boost that up to two, maybe yeah. 3 million endowment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I had somebody a long time ago teach me that significance was owning your success, knowing how to repeat it, knowing how to find joy in it, knowing how to teach it. And, and you did, you found a way to make it a lot more than a medal mm -hmm. and not more than, you know, anybody can fly down that hill and, and maybe survive and maybe win after a lot of practice, but doing what you've done with it is just fantastic. Well, thank yeah. you. Yeah, I, as I what, said, it's like what, what I think I'm most proud of. Just, just because I want to understand it better, real quick, give us the kind of the the elevator speech of of your of your foundation. What what are you trying to accomplish with it? What are the you know what are the two or three pillars of it? Yeah, so we're really focused on empowering um, youth in the Elk Valley, like creating opportunities, and so this could be anything from like. Um, kids skiing for the first time and we'll pay for their whole season equipment lessons lift everything to behavioral therapy on like equine behavioral therapy so people who can't access funds to help support people who have youth who have behavioral challenges or have just been recently diagnosed with adhd or some some you know medical before the actual medical system kicks in we're there to bridge the gap we'll send kids to summer camp we set drama writing roller derby. Um, it's basically anything that a kid would want to do, we will help. And, and, you know, we have, they have to apply. And okay. one of the That's challenging things that I have is like, do you, who do you say yes to? And who do you say no to? But to me, right. it's like, if the kid, you can't judge a family's choice. Like if they want to buy a hot tub and they don't want to send their kid to like camp, that's a parent's choice. But if the kid's not going to go to camp, I'm going to send them to camp because every kid needs an opportunity because you don't know what an opportunity turns into. Mm. We helped one kid and sent him to camp and he never asked us again, but he kept going to camp and he went to camp because he raised money. He went and like collected bottles and he went, you know, he could have done that before, but no one had ever believed in him. And so these opportunities that you create for kids or this empowerment or this belief, sometimes it's like as little as, oh my God, you believe in me can be like, like 
set them on a totally different trajectory in life. And so it's it's just really about empowering kids and youth and families. You. Do you get to meet other recipients as well, Em? Um, no, my mom does. So the okay. best gift is my mom's does is like she's COO. She's basically of my life too. But anyways, she's <laughs> she's the one that interacts with little the, rosemary. Yeah, the applicants, and she'll see them at the hill, and she'll interact with a lot of them. Um, some of them don't want that interaction. It yeah. really depends on um, their level of comfort and uh, in asking. It's really yeah. hard to ask for help, yes. and it's also a stigma I have a problem with because help isn't a weakness. It's just like, maybe you just got handed a bad round of cards or bad hand of cards. It's like, we have to get better as a society of asking for help. And so how do we make, destigmatize that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Matt and I've been talking about, I don't know if you've gotten to see this, Emily, but um, Ted Lasso. So if you have an opportunity to watch- I have watched that show. Well, the first season so far. It's phenomenal. And I think like Matt and I were talking about, I was like, I could literally do- uh, talent development and a leadership development on the different episodes of that show. And, and recently, you know, on one of the episodes, again, it won't, it's not a spoiler, so it won't ruin it for anybody who hasn't seen it yet, but they talked about, we need to be okay with not being okay. And, and I think they repeat that in a few different episodes of, you know, and again, it goes back to these are athletes, right. And they have a stereotype with what they're supposed to be. And, for them to admit vulnerability is in theory in the past, it hasn't been accepted. And so it was really, it was a great episode. Of course, I always tear up at these episodes. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is such a good lesson, but it's true. Like it's okay not to be okay. And it's okay to say that and then ask for help. You know, I think that's fantastic. Totally agree. Well, Emily, we would keep you forever. Again, we might have a 2.0 sometime um, down the road, but we are going to go ahead and start our rapid fire session. Again, Matt and I always talk about, we say rapid fire, but ultimately as, as we get into some of the questions, there's some really meaningful answers that we then dive into even further. So we're going to go ahead and kick this off and I'm going to let Matt get started with the first question. Are you ready for this? Born ready. Okay. I know you were. I love that. What would you be doing right now if you could, if you weren't doing what you're doing, what job would you do? Is there a job out there that you think is perfect for you? I'm in the job that I'm supposed to be in right now. Great. And you want to tell people, we talked a little bit about flow at the beginning of the show, but um, do you want to tell a little bit about your role in flow? Just to let so people I was know. actually listening. I took rapid fire. I was like trying to be specific and concise. You were good. I know you did. You were but good. I think one of the things that I'm trying to be accountable for is being at the, I want to be part of change. This energy transition, I don't want to be in the back seat. I want to be in the front seat. I want to be actually instead of, it's back to like walk the talk. I went into BP to learn and to become informed. I'm working in the front end of energy transition because I want to learn and I want to be informed and I want to be part of that change. And so to me, it's about not observing and not complaining it's not a perfect world it's not a perfect reality but we have to change and so being part of that change is really something that's important to me it's, i love it, it not enough people are in that world where they understand both sides like you do now yeah yeah oh. it's like it's there's two extremes it's, right. and it's really difficult because they're equally passionate and so we have to find a way to bridge the gap and and understanding the limitations of both both sides have, have limitations and so how do you kind of minimize those limitations into a way that has long-term sustainability for our society. Yeah, agree. 
And I think we answered this earlier, but I'm going to kick it back to you. Okay. I'm going to, instead of saying 17, what would you tell your 21, 22 year old self? The keep doing, keep going like that. That was so 2021. I was like coming out of the, the darkness of my dad's death, I would say. And I was like on the up and up for skiing. I don't think I would tell myself that there was like a train wreck just around the corner that was mm -hmm. about to happen. So I think you need to learn that you need to like preserve your naivety for as long as possible and your invincibility for as long as possible. So I think it would just be about like, keep giving it like as blindly as you are at that moment. Can you talk to my 13 year old daughter when we're done? <laughs> <laughs> you have to schedule that. What's <laughs> Give us your favorite book or podcast you've been reading or listening to, or just something that's been significant for you. Um, yeah, I, I'm not very good at remembering these things. So I've been doing a lot of driving. I'm going to hold on. I've got a plan here. I'm going to pull up my, my audibles and I'm going to tell you the last four audibles that I've been doing. Great. Okay. Last four. Oh, so I had, um, I'm reading Entangled Life right now. Very mm. strange, very interesting. It's all about mushrooms. So there's this a beautiful book called Mother Tree and it's all about how trees are connected in, in the ground. And this is the same principle with, with mushrooms and fungus and how we're all connected. And it's just like science and philosophy and it's all of this greatness. It's a bit, it's it's not a light read. Best audiobook for for audio perspective and well narr narrated Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. Love That's it. a great one. Yeah, what my favorite thing I've ever listened to. Um, I read The Cold Start Problem, so that's all about like how do you get network effect. So this is more work. Cold start, like cold. Problem. The Cold Start Problem. So basically, it talks you know whether it's Uber or Airbnb, how do companies get scale and network, and and kind of staying power. I, and then Finding Me is all a, it's an autobiography by Viola Davis. That's and then a, a, a really cool book it was called The Moth in the Mountain. So it was basically this guy who um, had never really flown a plane before and he got on a plane and he was on the mission to fly from the UK and then climb Everest. And it's a true story. And it's amazing. Moth on the mountain or in the mountain? And the mountain. And, and the mountain. The moth is the plane. That's what it's called. Oh. And then, and the mountain. It's great. Nice. What's your go-to comfort food? Rice pudding. Mm. I like that. Go-to movie when you're feeling down. What do you, what do you watch a lot? You got a movie you come back to? <laughs> uh, no. It doesn't have to be when you're down. Lasso. It could be any movie. You got Ted a favorite? Lasso. Maybe it's Ted Lasso. Oh, um, you know, I know. I've got one. Love okay. Actually. That's actually oh. what I watch. Good one. Emily and I did have a moment where when she came in, we had to watch some Christmas movies and we had a really good time. I hadn't watched any of them. Yeah, I know. Baby steps. <laughs> but it was a good, it was a good night. If you, and I'm going to switch this because you're Canadian, if you were prime minister instead of president, if you're prime minister for a day, what would you change or implement? Oh my God. I, that's a really good and really tough question because I think that politicians I'm going to go down a rabbit hole, but I, I think that they start in the world of politics with the best intentions. And then 
there's something happens along the way and they lose their way and then whatever they wanted to implement at the beginning, by the time they can implement, they can no longer implement. So I'm going to assume that I don't have to do all that. So I'm going to implement. You just get to wave the wand, so to speak. I don't understand how people are still hungry mm. in first world. I kind of get it in third world, but I don't understand how in first world there's still people and kids and families who are not are hungry. Agree. Agree. One, and then if I got another one, it would be a, more of a commitment to climate change. Be part of like more incentives to kind of progress us. It's not going to happen by people by choice. It's going to happen by government. All right. For our robust audience of 23 people, including Beth and my mother's, um, <laughs> what advice would you, that you've received in the past you think everybody should hear? What would you like to pass forward in advice? So I'm going to use it. So my, my best friend, Vanda, she's the one who um, convinced me that I should get an MBA without an undergrad. And her thing was just like, I don't know, it's not a specific quote, but it's more around the philosophy of like, why not? You know, whenever these opportunities come or these things that are outside the box, we always start with why no. So why don't we start with why not? Or why, why not me? Why not yes? Why not? Like what we always start with the why not positive negative. We should be starting with the why not positive and be willing to challenge the status quo. The status quo is only there because it was done in the past. It doesn't have any indication of what should happen in the future. That's great. I love it. Well, Emily, I just want to thank you again for your time. We're, we're wrapping up and you've given us again, so much to listen to, to reflect on. It's, it's awesome. I mean, again, I'm so glad that I get to have you in more than just a podcast guest in my life, you know, a friend and, and somebody that I've leaned on for advice as well. And so I'm hoping that some of the advice and the stories that you've given will definitely resonate with some of our listeners and they can kind of take those on and pay it forward to the people in their lives, you know? And I think, you know, some of the things you're doing with the Emily Bryden Youth Foundation are fantastic. Again, our listeners can go to emilybrydenyouthfoundation.com. Again, it will be on our platform. You can read it in the notes section if they're interested, but thank you again so much for your time. It was awesome. You're amazing. So I appreciate it. Feelings speak to all. These are awesome. Impressive, Em. Impressive. Keep doing what you're doing. And 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 just so our audience, so you'll take a $5 donation, you'll take a $3 donation. Yeah. Yes. Right. And if you don't want to support my foundation, just support a foundation in your community or something that you want to pay forward to your neighbor. Just, just do an act of kindness for someone else. Great. I love it. Great. All right. Thanks, Em. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. Have a great weekend and we'll talk soon. Sounds good. See you. Thanks, Em. Bye-bye. Wow, Matt, what do you think of Emily Bryden? She's she's a star in so I many mean, ways. She's just great. Compassion, you know, empathy, you know, drive. She's got it all. Fun, fun conversation. I, I have another five questions I wanted to ask her, but we would have kept her here all day. But she... Just, just so happy that there's people like her in the world that are are trying to take their life and doing something wonderful with it. Great. I remember, <clears throat> excuse me, when I had the opportunity and actually was talking to her boss at the time at BP and I had never met Emily. She worked in a different part of the organization. 
but was in Chicago. So it's amazing. You have over a thousand employees in Chicago, but we work in different parts of the business within BP. And um, he was telling me about her. I was like, I need to meet this woman because she said, Hey, I'm an athlete, not nearly the status she is, but I just, I loved her story. And he was just kind of summing it up for me. And so I remember at one point I had uh, to put together a leadership conference and we were in the middle of cost cutting something common for corporations. And it was like a do more with less ten, you know, a mentality. And I was like, okay, well, why don't we just reach out to one of our amazing employees? I don't, I haven't met this woman, but I want to get to know her. And why don't we have her do a guest speaker for our leadership team? And we had an office in Calgary. So I was like, well, okay, well, let's just go to Calgary. We'll visit that office. She's local in Canada. And again, she lived in Chicago, but we could kind of take there and really just talk about doing more with less is the life, her story, right? It started right. off where you just, you didn't have it, but you did, you went after something with so much passion because you loved it. And then the community came in and said, you got to keep going. And I think that's a life lesson. And so she tells her story on numerous stages and often with the results of give back to this foundation, you know, here's how you can pay it forward. And I mean, just, and then as a friend, she's just, she's always there. She's just an amazing human being, but perspective full of joy. Um, just fantastic. So. Yeah. yeah. If you haven't gotten excited about our guests up to this point and you, you're not, you're not letting people know, you know, Beth and I may not be the best interview uh, interviewers and hosts up to this point, but man, our guests are world-class and boy, she, she made our podcast really, really strong today. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to know her and I hope I get to talk to her down the road and get to know her better. Absolutely. And, uh, again, we want to thank our listeners. <clears throat> we hope you had as much fun listening to Emily as we did getting to know her even better. Um, our podcast can be found on Spotify or Apple. And if you want to send us an email because you want to give us some insight, some feedback, you have some ideas or questions you would like us to ask, you can go to be significant, the number four, the letter U at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to subscribe, you know, on Apple or Spotify as we release our shows every week. And we would love for you to get notified once we have a new episode with one of these amazing guests that we get to know a little bit better. And with that, don't let life happen to you. Make it happen. Go out there and be significant. Make a difference in somebody else's life. We'll see you next time.